Well, here we are in a reading from the Gospel of St. Matthew. So your antennae should be going out and saying, Matthew, who was Matthew? How did he approach Jesus? What was he looking for? What's the characteristic of his gospel? I'm sure you've got all the answers, so I'm not going to waste my words telling you what it is. I can only remind you that it's the Jewish gospel of all Jewish gospels, and not surprising to find Pharisees and Herodians at the center of the temple of Jerusalem in conflict with Jesus Christ. That's where we are in the story. So it takes place in the temple in Jerusalem, and in a sense the final chapter is opening up for Jesus Christ. And it's in its entirety in Matthew's Gospel because of course he's really concerned with this final confrontation between Jesus Christ and the religious authorities and the secular authorities. The question of authority rages in these last chapters. It's also really interesting to remember that in these chapters Jesus is in discussions with intellectuals, with religious leaders. The whole tone of what he's saying changes. The imagery removes itself from the biblical concept of an agricultural society and moves itself into a ritualistic community in the temple in Jerusalem. So if you look at the way that this works out, it's highly sophisticated in its arguments, and we need to be aware of it. A confrontation with the religious authorities, especially with the Pharisaic party and the Herodian party, both hated by mo many of the Jews of the period. The arena for the discussion is the hated tax imposed on the Jews, but not on the Roman citizens. The imperial tax put upon the Jews, but not upon the Romans. So it was hated. And so where are we? In the inner courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem, near to the Holy of Holies, and the Pharisees, we're told, go out to lay plans to trap him in his words, to trap him in his words. Not his actions, not what he does, not his compassion, his words. So it's an intellectual argument that's being set up here. They haven't got the guts, or if they have got the guts, they don't want to confront Jesus himself, so they send somebody to represent themselves. The usual way in which you present difficult arguments and discussions to other people. You don't often do it yourself, you send somebody else. If you are a clergyman, you do it anyway. Not, of course, if you're a lay person, I realize that. So here we are. They've sent representatives to represent them. And they've been given the script. We know you're a man of integrity. Flattery gets you everywhere, not with Jesus. And you teach the way of God, careful use of a phrase, in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. That's a backhanded compliment to Jesus because it's like saying you're not really interested in who we are. 
If you look carefully at the scripture, it's absolutely fascinating if you break it down and look at what it's trying to say between Jesus and those around him. And it's the setup for the big discussion. Tell us then, great intellectual argument, what in your opinion is correct? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now in the temple in Jerusalem where there were other taxes, to the Pharisees and the Herodians and to the Jewish community, the imperial tax was an anathema. So to ask questions about the imperial tax really brings the house down. Jesus is cautious and to them really he's quite loving if you look at it. He doesn't say, he answers them. He knows what they're trying to do. And then he says to those he's facing, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Immediately, immediately backfooting them. Show me, and then, then of course the brilliance, show me the coin. So they look for the coin. Which one of them's got a denarius? Show me the coin. So it becomes pragmatic. Show me the coin. They show him the coin. He looks at the front and he looks at the back. Whose image is this and whose inscription? Well, what can they say? They can't say, let's have another clever argument. They say, Caesar's. And Jesus replies, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. It's the ultimate question of the authority of God and the authority of the state. That's what's really being questioned. When they heard this, they were amazed, which is a polite way, I think, of saying they got nothing else to ask. They were shut up. And back they go to their masters to say, well, that didn't get us anywhere. Didn't get us anywhere. They're waiting now for the next time to return to confront Jesus Christ. So what is this really about? Jesus is dealing with the conscience of individuals, the conscience of individuals. And he's asking them to be truthful. He's asking them about what they feel about how their conscience works. What should they do as a result of what they believe? That's what it's about. What should they do as a result of what they believe? How should their life be shaped by what they say and they do and by listening to who's speaking to them. The implication is about the human conscience. And of course it's about an informed human conscience, not an ignorant human conscience or one fed by ignorance. It's about an informed human conscience and we Christians need to remember that unless we inform our consciences we're not capable of making decisions. The great thing about the other great religions of the world is that they prepare their people in detail for these kinds of discussions. They ground them in scripture to the point where they know what their leaders actually said. The prophet Muhammad, the teachers of other great faiths, Moses, Elijah, what did they say how does it affect our lives? How do we plan 
the way in which we live to respond to that. You say to a Christian, well, what informs your conscience? Um, um, the Bible? Which part of the Bible? Whose words? Where do you find those words? Oh, Jesus? What did he say? Where did he say it? Why did he say it? What motivated him in his response? If you can't answer any of those questions, your conscience can't be informed. We have a job to do. And this pinpoints it. Jesus is setting himself up for his death. So there are no mincing of words here. Every single word counts in this dialogue with the Herodians and the Pharisees. And he makes every word have values. They mean something. And it reminds us of the need to make sure that where we go for our source of inspiration and our source of information. And one of those sources has to be the word of God. Has to be the word of God. How else do you parallel what you think yourself? How else do you decide what the norms are? How can you give opinions about abortion, euthanasia, about where you vote and how you vote and who you vote for? Unless you've been back to Jesus Christ's text of scripture and seen what he was saying in an alienated community about authority, responsibility, and making up our own minds. He doesn't say we should be merely mouthed. He says when you've decided what your conscience should do, act upon it. Bonhoeffer, Oscar Romero, the great martyrs of the 20th century faith, they had an informed conscience that meant they stood by it. And it was biblically based as well as apologetically based. So if your spiritual life, the life of the spirit, the life within you is informed by the words of Jesus Christ who said not if you pray but when you pray. You will go away enriched by a teaching which can be lived out in your own personal lives and in which in your offices and your homes and with your friends and with your enemies you'll know what it is you really believe and why your act of life is what it is. Whose coin is this? Whose inscription is this? Whose image is this? And the answer was clear. And Jesus reminded them they could make their own mind up about this. He didn't give them the answer. They had the answer for themselves because they looked at the object that represented the whole argument. So how is your conscience? All right? Informed? Half informed? Informed by prejudice? Informed by a, dis informed by a dislike of other people? Informed for a feeling that the church is a pain in the neck, but I come out of duty. Informed by fear. What a terrible thing. A conscience informed by fear. We've been given life to live fully. 
by God. Our response is to try and find those guidelines that enable us to live freely, freed from fear from ourselves in a life of the Spirit, which means that on a daily basis, we should be looking inward and listening for that still small voice, which has been informed because you know where to go for the information. And then you have to make up your own mind. I'm happy to be a member of a Christian church where reason plays its part. Many people attack us for the fact that we have reason as part of our interpretation of truth. Reason helps us to understand what that truth is about. And so consequently, I believe we're freed of both fear and prejudice in making up our own minds. Let Jesus Christ be at the center of your mind being made up so that it's informed and that it's holy and that it's informed by prayer and above all by the silence of being with God himself. Amen.